Today is Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. After 20 plus years, justice has been served as a 9-11 mastermind has been blasted with a U.S. drone strike. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. We help get through the news of the cray together and joining me as always to help us get through it is Trey Gones Phillips and Billy Hallowell from CBN's Faith Wire. Guys, happy Tuesday to you. We're marching towards Friday and I'm excited. Looking towards the weekend as usual. <laughs> it's uh, What do we call it? It's mini Monday, right? Mini Monday, Monday, I guess. I guess that's the official term. I guess we'll, we'll stick with it. Coming up, you guys have a couple good ones here. Interesting stories. Tulsi Gabbard criticizing the Biden administration for what she's calling a dangerous policy promoting child abuse. And an army vet. This this arrest was crazy, guys, uh, for causing anxiety. This was over in the UK, and it's uh, it was a shocking scene. We'll have the details on that. Plus, on the main thing, 88% of Christians have not advanced past the quote-unquote toddler stage of Christianity, according to a survey. Billy Hallowell speaks to Pastor Bill White. But first, look at some of today's top headlines. President Biden announced yesterday that the U.S. had killed al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri in a drone strike in Kabul, Afghanistan over the weekend. The location is significant. We'll tell you why in just a second. But Biden was first briefed on al-Zawahiri's whereabouts back in April. And then an operation was proposed on July 1st. And there is bipartisan celebration of this successful military operation, but there's also questions being raised about why Zawahiri was in Afghanistan and allegedly being hosted up by Taliban, who recently took over power after the Biden administration's hasty and much maligned withdrawal from the nation when most thought he was in Pakistan. You can check out further updates at CBNnews.com. Well, China's military posted ominous video of missile strikes troops hurriedly grabbing their weapons and jet fighters taking off from airfields yesterday as nancy pelosi is expected to arrive in taiwan today white house national security spokesman john kirby had this to say we oppose any unilateral changes to the status quo from either side we have said that we do not support taiwan independence and we have said that we expect cross-strait differences to be resolved by peaceful means and that's a departure from what president biden himself has said recently. Well, is the White House and left-leaning fact-checkers gaslighting the country on the state of the economy? One economist says yes, this after he got flagged by Facebook and called misinformation on his posts in which he questioned how the White House has been redefining the word recession. PolitiFact claimed that no, the White House hasn't changed the definition of recession for political cover. This is economist Phil Magnus, and he said the Biden administration's attempt to redefine recession is a tactic straight out of the Nixon administration in early 1974. He also said the, quote, entire media fact-checking industry is an exercise in politically motivated fraud. And long before digital cameras, cell phones, and computers, one Jewish organization not only helped develop Israel, it documented the land's history and pictures, the incredible photo archive, provides a treasure trove of pictorial history of the development of Israel. You can see those pictures and check out more of today's top headlines over at CBN News. Well, Tulsi Gabbard has condemned the White House for quote-unquote dangerously promoting child abuse. Trey, Tulsi is not uh, mincing words here. So what's going on? What is the White House doing that she's upset about? 
Yeah, so former Representative Gabbard, she's obviously a one-time Democratic presidential contender. Uh, She's calling out the Biden administration for its silence uh, on uh, latest information from the FDA uh, on puberty blockers for children. She's calling the White House's silence, quote, dangerously promoting child abuse. Uh, So her comments come just days after the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued a warning uh, against a certain kind of uh, drug uh, known commonly as puberty blockers. They're off label drugs that have been used as puberty blockers for kids experiencing, or anyone, but uh, the FDA is talking specifically about kids, them being used for kids, uh, you know, if they're identifying as transgender to block the process of puberty. So the government agency said that the drugs can cause swelling in the brain, blurred or loss of vision, tinnitus, dizziness, and nausea. Uh, So this comes, the FDA statement, comes just weeks after U.S. Assistant Secretary of Health Dr. Rachel Levine, a man who identifies as a transgender woman, uh, said giving puberty blockers is, quote, life-saving, medically necessary, age-appropriate, and a critical tool for healthcare providers. Uh, So now Gabbard is tearing into journalists as well as the White House uh, for in silence uh, on uh, the FDA statement and kind of the contradictory tone uh, that's coming out of two different branches uh, of the same federal government. Uh, So this is just a a brief quote uh, that that Gabbard said. Uh, She said, if you haven't heard about it or if you've missed it, it's because the mainstream media and the Biden-Harris administration have been completely silent on it. And this warning that the FDA, FDA issued was basically saying that puberty blockers can cause serious health risks for our kids. I mean, Trey, are we seeing more people break ranks on this um, because of the images that we're seeing come out about these family-friendly drag shows and things like that being exposed to kids? Or is it an exaggerated thing that maybe isn't as frequent as it would seem because of all the people drawing attention to it. What do you think? Well, you know, I think we're talking about a small subset of culture, um, but we're using a small subset of culture to create a new standard for everybody, right? So we're taking the exception and we're making it the rule for every single person. Uh, and the more we do this, the more we see the White House doing this, Levine doing this uh, at the, the Department of Health and Human Services, I think the more shocking it becomes. Like the White House, uh, from their Department of Health and Human Services, stated not that long ago that, quote, gender-affirming care can include, quote, gender-affirming surgeries encompassing top surgery to create male-typical chest shape or enhanced breasts or bottom surgery, surgery on genitals or reproductive organs. So I think the more radical and more shocking these things become, uh, it's really, I think, creating a clear contrast between what the far left wants and what the vast majority of America thinks about this stuff. Yeah, I think you're I think what you're seeing happen too is these issues with women and then children. And when I'm talking about women, I'm speaking about how women are sort of at a disadvantage suddenly, right? In sports and all these other arenas. And then you have kids. I think those two things are really a line that even a lot of Democrats are not willing to cross. And a lot of feminists are speaking out. You know, when you interact with journalists who are routinely covering this, you do see that they will tell you, look, I'm seeing you know people on the left who are feminists who are starting to speak out against this, who are seeing issues with this. So I actually think we're at a very interesting turning point on this issue. We went up a really steep hill and it was like support, support, support. And now I think you're starting to see people realize the pitfalls of this. So I'm not shocked by it. And I think we're going to see more people on the left uh, speak out on it. I do. Yeah, especially too, as we head towards November, And, you know, there's going to be real consequences in these House seats, these congressional seats, these Senate seats because of the images that Americans are seeing. And then you have a lot of people on one side of the aisle and essentially endorsing 
this sort of behavior. And I, I think you're right. I think you you can expect to see maybe a shift in tone, especially headed toward the election. All right. Disturbing video of an army vet being arrested. And the reason that the officer gives, at least on this video, is for causing anxiety on a social media post that he had posted on a social media account or a website or something of that nature. So, uh, Billy, this was in the UK, so people maybe shouldn't be quite worried that the word police are here in America, but it's disturbing nonetheless. What was going on in this scene? Yeah, well, even in the UK, people presume that they have, they don't have a First Amendment, but that they have the ability to speak freely and have opinions, right? Yeah. I mean, that's sort of something that people there believe they have. Um, and so this is a guy named Darren Brady. He's a 51-year-old UK Army veteran. And apparently all he did, from what we understand, from what we know, is to retweet this image. Now, it was a meme, and it was a swastika that was made from four images of gay pride flags. And it came together in a way with the patterns on those flags that essentially made it look like a swastika. And it was a political point that was being made. But he shared it from somebody else. That's the point. And apparently... The the police arrived at his house, from what we understand, and told him that he either needed to take a course, um, and if he took that course, maybe that would get him out of being in trouble, sort of like a, a re-education course, it sounded like. And he told them, you know, he would think it over, and the police left, and then they returned to the house. Now, this is where the story becomes very interesting, because this is the video we, we see that's been circulating online. It's had millions of views of police officers interacting with Brady, um, and not just interacting with him, arresting him over this and when they start to interact about why he's being arrested um, it's because he was quote causing anxiety somebody complained to the police apparently about this um, image that he retweeted on Twitter okay so we're talking about a social media post here um, really really interesting case and the part of it that's captured a lot of attention is that um the woman who actually runs the police unit there in the UK in this particular area, she has spoken out and said that this did not look proper, that the way the police handled this, that there needs to be better training, essentially, that she's going to see to it, um, that they do a better job. And so you have this interesting dynamic where there's a viral video, this guy's getting arrested, apparently, from what we know, and you always want to vet these things yeah. for something that happened online. And now you actually have the person who's the boss of these police officers coming forward and, and saying, look, we need to do a better job on this. So really, really um, interesting case in which they seem to be the police, at least taking responsibility that this was not something he should have been um, arrested for. And by the way, he was not arrested alone. There were other people he called for help who came. And one of them was a former cop who tried to stop the arrest and he was arrested <laughs> as well. So it's just a wild, wild case. That guy's name was Harry Miller, and he was a former cop again mm. as well. Man, it just seems like, I mean, is causing anxiety now a standard for arrest in the UK? I mean, that just seems like police would have better things to do than arrest someone anytime you cause anxiety. And I just want to know, if that's the basis for the arrest, if the man then said, hey, this arrest is causing me anxiety... Would the officers then turn around and arrest themselves for causing anxiety? I mean, that is a weird standard. I've never heard of anything like that, even in oppressive nations. That is just, it's shocking that the police would show up after you simply retweet a meme. I wanted to add something to that because the commissioner said, I am concerned. She put out a statement, and actually it's on her Twitter account, and she's pinned it. She said, I'm concerned about both the proportionality and necessity of the police's response to this incident. Again, this is the boss of the police, yeah. right? 
going after her her own on this, which I think is really interesting. It definitely is fascinating that she's chimed in on this. And I guess, you know, if everything pans out the way it looks like it it, it did and there aren't uh, factors that we can't see, uh, then, you know, good for her for calling it out is, is certainly a quite the overreaction. But I think we're this is just the product of obviously this is the UK and not the US, but I don't think we're that far removed culturally uh, from one another when it comes to this issue. And I think it's part of this, um, the, the, the college phenomenon that was words are violence and we need to create safe spaces. Now all this people who are in school uh, in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, what are they? They're now the leaders of communities, of the company, people running companies, uh, they're the, the heads of police. So I think these, these people who are taught this philosophy that words are akin to violence are now starting to, to run our communities. And I think this is kind of a, a consequence of that worldview. Yeah. And I was just going to say that, Trey, that this makes me think of the conversation we have a lot on this podcast about worldviews have consequences. And ultimately, when you remove God from the picture in your own mind, you have to make something else the ultimate authority and you inevitably land on the government with that. You know, you start trying to make these rules, you start trying to take away things you don't like. That is a trend we see now where it's not just the tolerance thing is one of the biggest misnomers out there because there is no real tolerance for specifically like Christian and a lot of times conservative views. It's no, 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 we need to delete that. That's dangerous to society. We need to just get it out of there. And so these worldviews do have consequences. And I think we're seeing that play out in the UK. And let's pray that that doesn't continue to infiltrate its way here in America because I kind of like being able to say the things we we want to say, right? And then we just debate those things. And that's how, that is actually how you progress as a society. And it seems like we've, we've kind of lost that ability. But guys, thanks for bringing those stories. And that leads us into the main thing today. 88% of Christians have not advanced past the toddler stage of Christianity, according to a survey. Well, Billy Hallowell spoke to Pastor Bill White about this state of Christians and their spiritual growth on today's main thing. Dr. Bill White, pastor of Christ Journey Church in Miami, Florida, and author of the book Maturish, is out with a recent survey. And this survey is pretty sobering and stunning. It found that 88% of Christians haven't advanced past the toddler stage of spiritual development. Now, White broke everything down into developmental stages, finding that just 1.9% of Christians made it to the godparent stage. That is the most advanced stage of faith. Now, lots of other numbers in here are deeply concerning. 47% of Christians are at the newborn stage. Now, a lot of questions are at the basis of this study. What is going on culturally? What is happening within the church? And what can be done to remedy these issues? Here's Dr. White. I've been a pastor for years, and throughout the New Testament, you'll find images offered like newborn in the faith, uh, don't stay infants, um, your children and bring your childlike faith. Uh, now, as young men, you are overcoming the evil one. So I saw levels of development that were parallel to levels of human physical development. And, um, and so I just started charting them out like that. So that's where that came from, running all the way from a spiritual newborn. I've been born again into this toddler phase and then into an adolescent period and then into a um, reproducing parent, grandparent, and then like living 
uh, a missionary emphasis kind of life, like a personal apostle in my vocation, which we called Godparent. So that's really helpful. So, so you end up sort of putting believers into these phases. You can see where individuals in churches would then fall. You know, it's interesting when you look at the results, and we know that this is no secret that the percentage of Americans with a biblical worldview has plummeted. Bible reading is down. There's a whole bunch of very negative statistics that study after study appear to be showing us. What I found interesting with your research here is you have a number of metrics. Prayer is one thing that you looked at. And and on the positive side, 85% of believers reported that they were praying every day. But on sort of the negative side of that, and prayer obviously is so pivotal and important, you have a lot of people, it seemed like the majority, not necessarily praying, um, you know, intentionally, not necessarily praying for maybe the right Things. Can you explain what was found on the prayer front? Well, we don't just want to say prayers uh, like a perfunctory uh, ritual, but to facilitate a relational, a relational conversation through an active, ongoing prayer. Like Paul says, pray without ceasing. Always be in communication. Abide in Christ so that I'm living and breathing in this conversation with God. And that's what we found, is that believers tend to pray in time of need and for stuff they want. And so that also puts us on the low end of the development. Feed me, give me, help me, which are appropriate prayers when you're a child. But as you deepen in your relationship, then you want to graduate into a a more intimate communication. So I think what we discovered was that a lot of believers during a period of like we've been through are focusing on what I need and what I want right now. And that's when they pray. You know, it's interesting because only 2% of the respondents in this survey reached the godparent stage, the most advanced stage. You know, before you went into this, before the research was done, did you think that percentage would be that low? I, well, you know, I really had no idea. Um, but in another way, I'm not surprised because that level of all in, all on, in relationship with God to the point that everywhere I go and everyone I meet, I want to live my faith and express it in a way they can respond to that gives life and care to them. Um, in a culture that has been steeped as we have for so long in self-absorption, it's not surprising that when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, that that's not an invitation that that we immediately warm up to. We don't understand it. We don't know how it works. We don't live at that depth. And so we don't know how, if I die to self, I truly live. So um, in another sense, that's That's not surprising to me. But the piece of it that's so significant there is that we don't grow to that level without help. We need mentors. We need models. We need connection personally. It's not just something you read about in a book. You you need to see it lived and done and then helped throughout. So that's what we also discovered about those upper register uh, levels of maturity is that those those happen when you are connected in a discipling relationship or a mentoring group, or you have a coach who is listening and loving you and helping you get there. Well, and that brings me to to Bible reading and church attendance, because we know these trends have been a little scary. I mean, especially Bible reading, you know, you mentioned, obviously scripture is essential for us to read, but if people aren't even reading it, they're not even getting the baseline. And then on the other side, 
you have church attendance, you know, forging those connections that you're talking about. What we're seeing in research is that people are not attending church as much and they're not, they're definitely not reading scripture. Um, so what concerns you the most about those trends that we're seeing? Well, we're out of the habit. That's like the first Captain Obvious answer to me. It's like, wow, uh, COVID hit, we were pushed inward and then we we pivoted quickly. Thank God for the many churches that said, we're going to keep our message out and our community up. But we didn't know how to connect digitally. So we wound up having some uh, exchanges that um, were lacking the visit of God's spirit in the way that he promises to meet when we meet together. And so now I think we're needing to relearn some very valuable habits about gathering together and um, once again, getting over ourselves simply because we got we settled into convenience or we sort of our, our sacred memory forgot what it feels like to be with God's people and to be sharpened and inspired. And so what we still have people that are coming back now for the first time and during this entire shutdown thing um, and saying, oh, oh, this, <laughs> I miss this. So I think that's a piece of it. That was Dr. Bill White. You can find out more about his work at PastorBillWhite.com. He's also going to have a self-assessment available this summer. You can check your own spiritual maturity out at PastorBillWhite.com slash assessment. All right, Billy, thank you so much for that conversation. Fascinating information there and really convicting as well as obviously as Christians, we should be focused. Our Really, our main purpose is sanctification and growing in the Lord and growing closer to God. And so that applies to our kids as well. And that's part of today's last thing here on our Bible thought here on raising our kids. Yeah, I think one of the most convicting verses is Proverbs 22, 6. It reads, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. I know a lot of us know that scripture, but it's easy as parents to forget how important that is, right? I mean, that's the core of everything we're talking about here. And if we're not trained up well, yeah. Gosh, how are we going to train our kids up well? Yeah, I mean, we have a, we have a big job as parents. That's your full-time job. That is your primary mission field, and we should be 100% all in on it. Sadly, today, a lot of parents aren't. You know, I, I don't have kids of my own, but I know family members who have kids, uh, and, and a verse that always comes to mind is Deuteronomy 6, 7, that, you know, impress the things of the Lord on your children. Talk, talk about that when you sit at home, when you walk by the way, uh, when you lie down, when you get up. Look, I think everything that we think, say, and do uh, should be with that in mind, because it's the greatest ministry, as y'all said, that, that you'll ever have as a parent. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it is. It is convicting to think about that. I mean, it's it's hard to get through the days a lot of times. We don't want to punt. We don't want to hand it over to somebody else. And you don't want to treat God as like a side thing that you just do on Sunday. He's in everything, and um, we, should, we should act accordingly. So, all right, that is all the time we have for today's episode. As always, if that uh, Lord willing and that creek don't rise, we'll be back here tomorrow. God bless.